All right, Fern, today we're actually going to do it. We've got the topic at Sounds hand. terrible. <laughs> and we're going to actually talk about it. What do you think? Yeah. you think we can manage that? Well, as long as you stay on task. I've got to keep you. I'm basically like the Magellan of this ship. It's Magellan. going, you know, you're like the wind. You should, you should read up on Magellan first and foremost. <laughs> I don't know. Secondly. He was the first explorer that came to mind. Secondly, that podcast went sideways because you on multiple occasions, just we'll talk about coaching and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up for everybody on multiple occasions. You're like, all right, just two more questions. Yeah. Just two more. Just, just one more question. Just like when a coach is like one more rep, everybody never the fucking case. Would you consider yourself a history buff? No, not really. No. My dad is though. Ask your dad what book or movie ideally I should watch. So while we're in this quarantine, trying to, you know, not let my brain go to complete mush and learn a little bit. So I've been watching this course on YouTube about history, but I would like to learn more. I, so I guess he'll, pro he'll, prob he'll probably say Patton about General okay. Patton. Yeah. And then what else would he say? I'm looking more I'm, for like a movie than a book. I should make clear. Uh, that is a movie, but <laughs> okay. you're welcome. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Patton's uh, a movie about, yeah. and who's that about? So you're not a history buff either, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, if if any else. of the listeners have ideas for me, also please hit us up. Not I necessarily history, but like he's a big fan of Papillon. Like he really likes that movie. The, the tequila. No. So again, illustrating that you are not in any way uh, a history buff or fucking in on no i truly movies. i truly am terrible when it comes to history it's one of those subjects i did not like growing up but as i'm reading more about different you know periods of time and i read a lot about like the roman empire and stoicism it's got me curious at least but i think the challenge with history i don't know if we have any history teachers that listen it's kind of boring like it's never presented you'll watch some great documentaries and then be like Man, if they would have showed us this in school, I definitely would have paid attention. Uh, I think it depends on how you look at it, right? So yeah, I think if you look at it in terms of, if you look at it through the through the lens of history tends to repeat itself, then it becomes a little bit more interesting. So if you can read about historical things that happened that had a significant ability to alter the alter the course of mankind or civilization, then it becomes way more interesting because then you start thinking about what's the next variation of this or how how would this happen again you know like what's all probably on, on everybody's mind you know like stuff about the great depression you know like people are worried about that kind of stuff happening again so if you start reading stuff like that then you find these parallel themes and stuff like that so um, i'm always yeah, think, impressed with a few things when it comes to history i mean mostly right now what i'm always trying to wrap my head around is you know information spreads so fast right now but back in the day, you know, people would like, you know, I was thinking about something. I was reading something. I forget what it was. And it was like this one guy had to go tell this other guy something. And it was really important. I'm like, wow, he actually had to probably hop on his horse and go right over to this dude's house. Like there was no other way to tell him anything. That's definitely how that worked. Yeah. So. Well, or, or then, you know, put that in perspective. 
with Corona and everything going on, it's like so much information and how fast it was is because of the internet. What about what happened with the Spanish flu? It's like, how would people even find out that we needed social distance and isolate and all that stuff? When they got sick and then usually it would be delayed. So everybody would be sick and they're like, the Spanish flu is here. And they're like, oh, that's why people are dying. Got it. Yeah, it's just interesting to me. So, hey, if anybody's got some ideas, I'd love to hear them. But we are here to talk about the topic at hand, and that is front rack mobility. So when I say that term, front rack mobility, what do you immediately think of and what does it mean to you? A common pain point for both CrossFit coaches and athletes. Which is it more painful for? Physically or emotionally? Well, exactly, right? So, you know, and, and so one, just let's be a little more clear. Let's, uh, let's explain. Front rack mobility typically refers to your ability to keep your hands on a barbell with your elbows up while the barbell lays across your shoulders. So while potentially going through range of motion. Even, yeah, even more important, right? So think about the front squat, think about your squat clean, your thruster even, you know, that position. Now, I think what you're saying, Fern, is for the athletes, we realize, hey, this position isn't the most comfortable. And two, for coaches, we have to deal with the athletes saying that, complaining about it, and then oftentimes, if not most of the time, not really wanting to do anything about it. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, this is always like, you know, you want to throw everything on the athlete, but the, so yes and no. So maybe they don't want to, or, or don't prioritize it. Right. So this kind of goes back to that, like, Hey, don't say you don't have time. Don't say it's not a priority. Um, you know, for most people, I can prove their front rack uh, should not be a priority. Like they just have more important things to do in life. Um, if they, if it continues to be a, a topic of discussion and something that tends to cause friction between you and that athlete, and it's clearly causing them frustration, now we probably need to make it a priority. Well, let's take a step back. Even prior to you coaching people on this, you were an athlete. I mean, let's not overlook the fact you're a Division One basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> multi-time regional athlete speaking of that i was listening to the leiden episode the other day i was like man he and i should we should get together and just... Wait, you want to reminisce about your sectional days well both and but he played basketball too oh you guys yeah you just have so much in common we're know? both taller better looking and smarter than you as well so there's a yeah, lot I for mean, us to discuss if, if there was anything to bond over it'd be those three things so yeah, i mean but my question to you is, do you remember the first time you were put into this position? The front rack? Yeah, because if you were like me when you grew up, you a lot of squatting, sissy squatting, leg press, like a typical leg day. But whenever I did front squat, which wasn't that often, it was, you know, the typical I dream of genie position. So I'm unique in the sense that, no, I don't remember that because I was fortunate enough to be exposed to some pretty – high level strength conditioning coaches throughout my athletic career. So um, like for, for instance, so Gail Hatch was very prominent weightlifting coach in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for years and years and years and years. So a lot of 
folks in the strength conditioning world came up around him. And then, so I, you know, I spent some time with him as well as spent time underneath coaches who trained under him. So when, you know, I was introduced to Olympic lifts in their basic form, primarily power variations of them very, very early, like, you know, like late, probably like middle school. So it was never foreign to me. And then when I got to college, my strength and conditioning coach, well, one of them, one of them was a guy named um, Doc Murdoch, and the other one was a, a gentleman named Kurt Wolfolk, whose daughter, Natalie Wolfolk, was an Olympian and who is now married to Coach Bergner's son. So, again, more and more and more uh, exposure to Olympic lifting. So, from that aspect, no, I don't remember because it was 30 years ago. So, so you're, but basically, what you're trying to say is, you were put in this front rack position a lot earlier than most and probably a lot more often than most. Correct. And that's why I, I wanted to answer that honestly, not to, not just to be like, Oh, look at, look at my background, but to realistically say, no, I don't remember that because it was just, again, I was fortunate to be around people who were very, very um, probably like ahead of their time is probably a good way to describe that. You know, they were, they were doing some really cool stuff 30 years ago. So, so, you know, and, and truthfully, I don't remember mine either. I know even when I was growing up, I did some, you know, at least my interpretation of cleans and stuff. So I was probably put into that position more. So I don't know about you, but I wouldn't say I have the best front rack mobility, but it's never been a complete struggle for me. What about for you? No, I mean, mine's front rack is fine. Like I can, I can do a full grip on the bar uh, with elbows high. Now, where I tend to struggle might be a, a little bit is like th thoracic, um, maybe extension or like trying to keep a flat back in that position. I tend to have a little bit, uh, maybe how would I describe it, like an aggressive kind of like kyphotic curve of my thoracic spine. So sometimes it looks like my back's rounded, but that's probably just my posture. Is it, is it, do you think that's your posture or military? I see... When, at level ones, when I see someone with a little more of a rounded upper back, oftentimes they're military. Yeah, I mean, it's not a blanket statement, but, it, you know, if, and I didn't spend a ton of time, like, under load, like, wearing a ton of, I mean, I did for a couple of years, but, um, like, wearing body armor, stuff like that, but not enough to give me that posture. That I think a lot of that is just my posture. So, when, when we think about front rack mobility, most people immediately go to the thought that it's, something to do with their wrists generally not the case um so a quick test as far as to, to determine whether it's the wrist or not is it's just how people put their palms together you know like basically give yourself a high five and then leave your palms together and then pull your elbows up as high as you can so like I, what you need a minimum is 90 degrees so this would kind of look like like a, a little genie pose kind of right like, yeah with your hands like you're like praying that, like, like like prayer hands Correct. Yeah. So prayer hands, but not interlaced fingers and then just pull your elbows up. So if who prays with interlaced fingers, no one like this little kids. Like yeah. Them? Well, you're a little, oh, like you're, a, you're a, you're a child. You should do I'm this every thing. night. I cross my yeah. fingers and I kneel by my bed and I pray that Fern is in a good mood on our podcast. And then he's nice to clearly me. you're not praying hard enough because it doesn't work. <laughs> but basically you guys can see what I'm saying, because if you pull your elbows up at 90 degrees is, is the requirement at the wrist to get into front rack position. So I have more than that, obviously. Um, you have less. Yeah, so um, Fern is demonstrating 
His superiority. His, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for those of you that couldn't see it. <laughs> um, so if, if they can get to 90 degrees, and if you don't even want to do that, just have them get into a plank position and a push-up. And if their wrist and forearm are at 90 degrees, like that's the requirement. It, typically, it's not the wrist. People say the wrist because it's generally the site of discomfort or the point of discomfort, not necessarily the point of restriction. Yeah, I mean, so. every, at level ones, when someone kind of just throws out there, I've bad, I can't do this. I always ask, can you do a push-up? You know, that doesn't mean you can do a front rack, but it means it's not your wrists. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of work our way up the chain. I mean, we typically see this in the in the front squat, and I do want to talk about you know the use of PVC at the level ones versus barbells, and I think that'll kind of lend itself to ways to improve. But if it's not the wrist, where have you found for most people that it kind of begins? Where where does their tightness really? Where what is the root of it? Probably a toss up between the lat and the tricep they just physically struggle to bring that, you know, without movement of their midline, struggle to bring the, the, the upper arm of the humerus parallel to the floor without overextending or something like that. Um, and a quick test is basically just put your thumbs on your shoulders and drive your elbows straight forward. If you can do that, yeah, without making that stupid face that you're making. My right one, I can't get my, I think it could it potentially be just, is it my bicep is too big? That's definitely not it. Yeah. Probably just bad genetics. The, um, so bad, yeah, that's, bad. I got the recessive yeah. trait. <laughs> just weak, weak genes. You're, you know, we're like twins where I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, um, you have all the best mobility. That's right. Yeah, the looks I'm tall. Yep. Um, no, but yeah. So then, so that's just a quick, t- and that's how they teach in the CrossFit Kids course too. Is just put your hands on your th- on your, sh- or excuse me, your thumbs on your shoulders and drive the elbows up. And that'll give you a pretty good idea. Now that doesn't account for actually getting into extension at the wrist and placing a barbell there, obviously, but it'll kind of give you a little bit of insight into potentially what you're going to be seeing. If somebody can't physically put their thumbs on their shoulders and drive their elbows up, probably going to be a rough day when you put a barbell in the front rack position. So, okay, if they can get their thumbs there, how are we determining if it's triceps versus lats? I have a counter question, which is, I don't know that it matters. Fair, fair enough, right? You, if you can't do it, does it matter why you can't do it or are you going to get better at it? Um, the the well, chances are probably both, but this is sometimes this is a... I'd say more just for those that are curious, like, Hey, yeah, I mean, it could be either, it could be either or. And my point with this, this is where some people kind of what I would describe as like, they kind of leave their swim lane and, or their area of expertise. And they start talking about stuff that uh, is not necessarily in their wheelhouse. You know, they start using body parts incorrectly and, and saying things that probably fall more in line with a physical therapist or uh, somebody who, who kind of lives their life in sports medicine. And so from a coaching standpoint, like it doesn't matter. Like our job is to get them into a better position while recognizing the degree of restriction so that you can craft a plan that allows you to get the appropriate amount of improvement for today. And that might just be trying harder. It might, it might not actually mean any improvement in the position. So let's bring it to the level ones. And let, let's kind of start there as the foundation. We we have a squat breakout group. We review the air squat for typically 25, 30 minutes, and then we dive into the front the front squat. And this is where people, you know, really start to 
to feel it. it it's challenging if you've never friend squatted with pvc it's really eye-opening so let's kind of go through some of the common questions or statements and, and one is can i just add some load you could so so there's nothing to say that adding some form of resistance is a bad thing i just think a lot of people uh, would like to go there way too quickly it's like i just need a barbell it's like I'm not saying you, I'm not saying a barbell wouldn't help you get there. Probably would. Is that solving the problem is the question. So based on that, why do you think CrossFit to this day uses PVC at the level ones? For a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just easier from a, from a teaching standpoint. So if we think about the practicality of just giving everybody a barbell, how long are you really going to be able to hold anybody in a position? To, to, to get some, to develop kinesthetic awareness, right? To start to, to start to have them actually feel positions. Right. They're going to be tired yeah. before the, before, before they lose positions. Right. So you, you can get time under tension with a PVC pipe. It just takes a little bit longer, you know, but, but I, but that's the beauty of it. The other reason I think is that if we're going to work on technique, I really would prefer to do that uh, because it is a, it, it, it is a learning environment. That's what the level one is for, which by the way, the first online level one launches this coming weekend or is it this weekend? Is it this? It's soon. No, two weeks. Yeah, it's soon, which they, they did a f an incredibly fast turnaround on that. I mean, I, I think they did the whole thing in like 10 days, but go check it out. Uh, and that is for revalidates for level uh, ones and level twos only. It's not for first timers. So just FYI. Um, it's a learning environment. So I want to work on technique and typically if I'm going to work on technique or if I'm going to practice, if we're thinking about like the difference between training and practice, typically practice is absent of intensity, which would look like load speed. Um, that's how I want to do it. I don't want to have to worry about people getting tired underneath the barbell. I want them to focus on positions and doing it correctly. You know, just like you would anywhere that, that's kind of always the, you know, why do we use PVC pipes? And the, the, that, that fun, and now that I'm thinking about this, like this is a good counter argument to that, that fundamental piece of using a PVC pipe for two days is the counter argument to CrossFit doesn't care about technique. Right. I mean, I've heard flow masters or, or other trainers kind of say that like CrossFit gets this bad reputation about wanting intensity immediately. And for those that have taken the level one, the most you can work out is 18 minutes. The most. Yeah, and if you're doing days, that, you did everything wrong. Yeah. Right, something's going wrong if you're doing that. But And you know, actually, I mean, that's if you were to count the med ball. But really, the most you're going to work out under load is 10 minutes maybe. Oh, yeah, I just meant more so of actually, you know, three, two, one, go yeah. training. You yeah, know, and then, while we're doing five hours or roughly five hours of technique work, the practice. Yeah, and for those that have taken their level one and or level two, you realize how devastating PVC can be. Most people show up on Sunday incredibly sore and it's not from the one workout they did. It's from holding those static positions and, and moving slowly with PVC. And Coach Bergner's course is no different. I mean, it's two days of PVC pipe work with people just getting demolished with a PVC pipe. You know, and for reference, our mutual friend, Austin Maliolo has spoken about the most he's ever improved his snatch in one period of time was when he was only using PVC and just drilling the hell out of it. So 
and that's someone with a you know 200 i think his best is you know 245 plus so i mean it's not like he went from 65 to 95 he's you know you're talking he's already got four plates on the barbell i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure he snatches more than that too so i mean he's not weak and everybody knows that like austin's a great athlete so he's also not big compared to you know those snatching yeah i mean he's got a seven foot yeah he's got a seven foot wingspan on somebody who's you know five five but the which is funny him and austin i think actually do have the same wingspan but the um so yeah no yeah that's why we use it in the in the in the level one and it's also one of these things where you can really figure out if people fundamentally understand the movement so let's talk about we see now we're seeing people poor front rack mobility right so when someone says that to you what immediately goes through your head and what are your immediate first steps uh so what do they say either something to the extent of i can't do that i can't do it got it yeah i've got you know i i've just got poor mobility you know that's a very blanket statement Mm -hmm. but we hear it a lot so the first thing is just check to see if they're even set up for success. So I can't do that. And then I might look at their hands and they're, and maybe the grip width is either too wide or too narrow. So, you know, typically if you're looking at movement, go with the low hanging fruit, check hands, check feet. Like if I find an error in either one of those two, that's an easy fix. So in addition to grip width, then I'm going to look at the actual grip of the hands. And typically, I don't know who I heard this from recently you know we always say we want a loose fingertip grip but somebody i don't remember who it was so i can't give credit for it but the they basically said probably was it good was it smart no yes it was but it wasn't <laughs> you um but it basically said hey just put your fingerprints on the bar oh i like that that's a good cue. yeah so they said put your fingerprints on the bar because typically you say you'll tell people to uh, to to have a loose grip on the bar and but they still have like a bunch of knuckles on the bar. Yeah, and I'll say something which like last knuckle or whatever, but yeah. that's a good one, fingerprint on the bar. Yeah, I, it might have been Maggie, but anyway, the so look at that. So look at grip width and then look at the actual the grip they have on the bar. And if and if there's something that can be adjusted there, just go there and it, at bare minimum, we can have something that's better, you know. So then once I go there, then I'm just going to ask them to work a little bit harder. And typically I'm going to get – you know, I don't, I couldn't quantify it, but you know, a noticeable change in front rack position just by doing those two things. So I have, I have a couple questions for you about that. Let, let me ask you this first. What would be your definition of truly having bad front rack mobility? You know, in other words, a lot of people say that, but it's like, but you can front squat. So what's like, what is it? Where are we where it's like, okay, you, okay, you truly do have bad mobility? Well, the obvious one is injury. So the – and honestly, like I, prud- I probably couldn't even count on one hand like to five the number of people that I've had to physically put in the eye dream of Jeannie, like arms crossed. One of them was a motorcycle accident who, who had – when I like no flexion or extension of the wrist, like right, like, like fused that, almost. Yeah, so that that one was obvious. Um, outside of that, most people can get into it, but the limiting factor then becomes what would very much resemble safety related. So like they can get into it and they can do something that resembles a front squat, which we want to do. But once we add load, it doesn't matter what the load is. Now it 
gets a little dicey, right? Because they, they, they struggle to stay in a good position. Well, um, and that goes back to what you said earlier. It's not just about having this, but actually having it while moving through a range of motion. But then the follow-up to that would be, well, is it their, the maturity of their squat? Is it, you know, something you mentioned earlier, like the rounding of an upper back? Like it's not necessarily, it's easy to just attribute it to poor front rack mobility, but in reality, it could be so many other factors that we're, we're not considering. Yeah, it's a lot of them. And so then this is as a trainer, and I've probably have mentioned this before, but you have to try to figure out a way to make some sort of assessment with regard to how much am I going to get out of this right now? You know, and if, if you can't look at a front squat and, and quickly come to the realization that they are not going to get their elbows all the way up today, and that's fine. It's unrealistic to have that expectation, but I could get them a little bit better today. And by making them work a little bit more, that's okay. There's, that's nothing wrong with that. Like that's good coaching. So, you know, figure out what you're going to get and try to get that, even if it is one degree of improvement and then celebrate it. But there's a difference between front rack. If I'm pressing overhead versus front rack, if I'm going into hip flexion for something like a front squat, if they struggle in their, in their squat and they're in something that resembles this immature squat where the torso is severely cantilevered forward, then yeah, they're going to have issues in the front rack position. And, and in that scenario, even with great front rack position, you're still not in a good position. Like you could have your elbows parallel to the floor, but if I have to sit all the way back, now I have, now I have to ask for extreme range of motion in order to keep my elbows or my forearm, excuse me, my upper arm parallel to the floor. Well, yeah. And then really what you're saying is it's not at that point, bad front rack mobility. It's just no, not bad. At all. You know, it's, it's bad. Either it's a poor pattern. squat position. Yeah. yeah. It's a poor squat position that leads to not a necessarily a poor, a poor front rack position, but to what it would better be described as just an inefficient position in general, you know? So when you're, when you're at your level ones and we're coaching, what percentage of people would you say, I forgot have, what that's like because of coronavirus. I don't. That's know. true. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. But what what percentage would you say truly have some sort of mobility issue versus they just need to work harder? It'd be hard to put like a percentage on that. But here's what I'll tell you: the vast majority of people could just work harder, and they would get significant improvement in their position. And this is more evident at the level two than anything. Because, uh, for instance, uh, a participant will be teaching the front squat. And they will make the assumption that Johnny has poor front rack position. And I think we may have talked about this in the episode about being relentless. And they'll just turn around without making an attempt to improve the position and say, he's just got poor front rack position. Because Johnny said he had poor front rack position. I said, well, did you try to improve it? Like, you have to there is kind of like a, you know, don't pass go scenario here, which is like, you have to try first, you know, once you've exhausted everything within your toolbox, then we could probably come to the reasonable conclusion that they have poor front rack position. Yeah. And we can't, and that goes for so many things, uh, you know, especially at the level twos, like you're mentioning where people are just like, ah, that's how they move. It's like, then fix it. <laughs> Doesn't you mean know, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's this unique it's like somebody who, who, who drives terribly. 
and they're driving on the wrong side of the road. And they're like, well, that's right. just how they drive. And that's I'm like, well, drive. this is America. Yeah, we don't, we drive on the right side of the road here, you know, not the left side. Like you're going to have to fix that. You know, I, I would put the percentages as relatively high in, in my experience. Yeah. Like 70%, mm -hmm. I would say it's mostly just like, no, you need to drive those elbows up harder. Now, we've talked about two fingertips, like your fingerprints on the bar. At what point do you tell people to go three, four, or even a full grip? And, and when you're front squatting, what's your opinion on two fingers versus full grip with load? I think some of that depends on the squat position. So if you have two fingers and you're somebody who looks more like a immature squat, two fingers is going to get a little suspect. But if you're somebody who's fairly upright, then you could probably throw three, four fingers, maybe even a full grip underneath the bar. So there's a lot of pieces involved here. So I think overall context matters in the context of this movement where should we be? What's the safest, most optimal position? Not necessarily like, this is what it should be. This is always what it should be. Uh, I mean, you, you know, that's just kind of bad coaching. That's, that's me having read a textbook about front squat, but never having dealt with any athletes. Like, yes, I understand that's what it should look like. But with this athlete right here, based on their movement, their anthropometrics, how they're moving, then that's not the answer. It might be four fingers and it might be something that looks like their elbows a little bit down because that allows them to keep the bar on in the front rack safely. Yeah. I think, you know, first of all, when I front squat with load, I try to get my full grip on the bar. It feels more stable, stronger. And then, you know, if it's a big set or if it's a Metcon that's got 21 reps, sometimes by, you know, rep 13, 14, 15, my fingers are popping off. But you know, well, yeah, because the bar will start to slide down the the yeah, torso a little bit. It's more you know. work. It's it's more challenging to keep those elbows up. But on a heavy set, you have to. You know, we talk about you know midline and then also just the frontal plane. The bar needs to sit as high as possible. The closer to that frontal plane, the more successful you're going to be, and the easier it's going to be. So if you're looking at someone with poor front rack mobility, we've established hey they're working hard, but they struggle to get their elbows up. Like you've said, doesn't necessarily matter tricep or lats. What are some of the courses of action we can take to improve it? Something that can help typically, this will help with uh, the gentleman more often than not, but it's typically the gentleman or the, the big offenders is I'll adjust the grip width. Typically, it'll be something that's wider. Sometimes it's narrower, but typically it'll be something that's wider. Uh, and, and then I'll test it and retest it. So I'll watch them move. Mm, not happy with that just the grip mm, still not happy with it hey widen up your hands okay that's better let's let's try that and let's stay here for a little bit and 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 pair that with like working a little bit harder so that's typically like the first couple steps in order to get somebody to a better front rack position and then there are some kind of like tricks if you will with the pvc pipe to just start in a better position so like what what would be some of the Again, I would love to give credit here, but I don't know where I learned this. The uh, so just, if you were if you're unsure, probably just, yeah, just give you credit. Me. Yeah, the so uh, if you were to take a PVC pipe and just press it out in front like you were doing a bench press, but obviously we're standing, so hands would still be outside shoulder width. And then if I take that and I pull it and I pull my elbow straight back until the PVC pipe's on my collarbone this way, and then yeah. use my collarbone as the pivot point to rotate my hands around. 
it's probably not going to be perfect, but I would be willing to bet that it's going to be better. So even people with good front rack position or good mobility, if you will, or flexibility, however you want to describe that, can be fairly tough to just pull the bar straight down and then rotate around. But if I hold it out in front, full grip, pull my elbow straight back behind me, uh, even if somebody's having a hard time visualizing this, think about um, what is it, the T pull on the crossover symmetry? I believe that's right. Yes. Doesn't okay. matter. More just, just like a yeah. straight road to your top of your chest. To your collarbone, right? To your collarbone. And then use your torso as the point for rotation to bring the hands around. And again, better is all I'm looking for. It's not, that's not a magical trick where they're going to be like, oh my God, they're in the front position. That's not what's going to happen, but it will be better and it will help them get into a better position. You know, and, and for anybody listening, the, the goal of this would be like a gentle stretch. This should not be mm -hmm. ripping, breaking. You said something interesting. You said flexibility or mobility. How do you differentiate? How do you distinguish the two? Well, flexibility has to, has more to do with the, the like the ability for my muscles to lengthen, right? Like that's probably how I would describe it. Um, mobility has a little bit more to do with things like that combined with what kind of range of motion is allowed at the joint, um, things of that nature. So I, I guess mo the easy way to describe it was like mobility is a more all-encompassing aspect of that. So you could you could be flexible, like you, like you're pretty flexible, but I wouldn't describe you as having great mobility. Right? Like no, I, think, I feel like that's no, an I, accurate statement, you know? Yeah, and I think that's kind of the difference. I, I think it was actually our friend Sarah Wilkinson, her and I were talking about it. It's like, yeah, flexibility is the ability to lengthen your muscles, but mobility is basically your ability to get into the proper positions, right? So- I feel it, like you just said what I just said. So Yeah, no, no, I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing <laughs> with you 100%, but you're right. Like, and, and, and similar to me, I have found- some of the worst squats, I don't want to generalize and get hate from people out there, but some of the worst squats I've ever seen have been from really good female yoga instructors. The worst squats. Most, and when I say worst, I typically mean immature. But I mean, I can talk mm. from like, yeah. even just girls I've dated in the past who tended to be like yogis and, and, and yoga instructors. Like they all had this, yeah, they all had the same squat, very immature. I'm curious if that's because uh, typically, and I'm not, I am generalizing here, but not because it's a thing, right? Like if you typically, if you look at that type of athlete who's very, very flexible, typically they would be just, they would not carry as much lean muscle mass, right? And if I'm talking about lifting weights, I really don't want to be uber flexible. I want to be just flexible enough. Right, just flexible enough to get into it, to allow my muscles the length to get into a good position. So flexible and mobile. And that's part of why people are uh, anti-stretching, specifically static stretching, prior to working out. Right. Like, yeah, a lot of that because I, I want some of that. I want I want to keep as much of of that kind of elastic. Um, I'm blanking on the term here, but the yeah, but you're basically like that stretch reflex. I want that stress. That's what I was looking for. That stress reflex. And I can't do that if I have excessive amounts of, of flexibility because like we it's finish really each other's sandwiches, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, you know, if you, if you can't 
create and hold tension and position, that's really bad for weightlifting, particularly if I'm going to try to change direction quickly for something like uh, getting out of the bottom of a squat or clean or something like that, or something like a push jerk or a, or a, or push press, you know, so we have rapid hip extension, rapid change of direction. And I want to be able to have an up, you know, I've had uh, athletes come in at females mostly, but told them, I'm like, you don't need to stretch anymore. Like if you continue to stretch, you will continue to struggle in these positions because you have, they have no ability to be tight for lack of better terms in this position. Like you're just yeah, and that's too why flexible. It can be a problem to be too flexible. Like as yeah. far as it's, I know Dr. Sean from active life who we've, we're having on again, has been on a couple of times, talks about that a lot where you need to be, and Kelly Sturette also spoken about it, where you need to be strong at your end range. Yeah, and if you're too flexible, and there is no end range essentially, other than the 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 true anatomical end range, where like if I go past that, like something breaks, you're probably too flexible. So we're talking about improving. I like your drill. I, I would recommend also PNF stretching for proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. And that's something Correct. I even demonstrate that a little bit at level ones. So the, the idea would be say Fern's got uh, PVC in the front rack. I kind of come under directly in front of him. I scoop my elbows under his triceps basically and give him something to push into, like actually resist and then maybe five seconds relax. And then he can do, he can usually lift up a little higher and you can do that even against J cups or J hooks mm -hmm. uh, on your own. I'm a fan of, of putting people under, well, I guess what would be considered extreme tension, which is so, so if you put like your max front squat, so for you, we'd throw a hundred pounds on the bar and we, we get you underneath there. One ten. Okay. I'll give you one ten, and have them get into the front rack position and then just stand it up. Don't do anything with it. Just stand it up. And the focus for that 10 to 30 seconds, however long you think you can hold it is really forcing the issue on the front rack position. So not only are we really, really putting some stress on the body while we're doing it, but that now we have like actual time under tension. So now I can work on what that feels like to really put my fingertips on the bar. Cause I'm not worried about going through range of motion or any of that stuff. I'm just going to stand it up. I'm going to hold that position and drive my elbows up, you know, cause they're like, there's no better weight. There's nothing better to drive your elbows up against than 120% of your front rack or your front squat, you know, like uh, you're going to get some improvements there. Well, you know, and then inevitably throughout a level one or just with your athletes, I'm like, well, what about this stretch or that stretch or bands and distractions and all of that? And I'm like, to me, that's like a supplement, like in a supplement should be just that it should be in addition to your good protocol or routine, be it nutrition or stretching and nothing to me, you know, we always say like, Hey, what's the best way to get warmed up for the air squat, air squat. What's the best way mm -hmm. to, you know, get better range of motion in the front squat front squat and really what we're saying is improve that rack and uh, that's the homework I give I, I love kind of the pnf thing that I spoke about but then I'll tell people you know find a load that allows you to accumulate maybe three minutes today and when we say I, I think what you're saying is the same as me where it's not about you know just keeping your elbows up it's like no you're driving as hard as you can and really pushing that limit and then when you can do it with your max for three minutes Eventually, the goal is back it down to 225, 135, 95 PVC. 
Correct. Yeah. And, and knowing that some people are not going to get there. Like I've got some, uh, some weightlifters in here who are never going to look like that in a PVC pipe. They also look really, really good under a barbell. And like at some point, we, yes, we have to acknowledge that like physically the amount of muscle mass that this human being has on their body is not going to facilitate that without the addition of an, some outside force, be it a barbell or something like that. Most people don't fall in that category. Like we should just try to improve them in that position. Um, so yeah, I think people are just too real quick to punt to mobility. Be like, it's a mobility issue. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Like, let's find out. And if it is, that's fine. I'm not saying it isn't, but you haven't tried yet. So we can't confirm that. Yeah. I, I, you know, it goes back to kind of that first statement there. Like, let's figure out what's at the root of this, figure out, you know, and, and ultimately, kind of like the question we talk about in what is fitness, like how much of anything do we need? Well, only enough. Yeah, only enough. Enough to improve work capacity across broad time and modal domain. So you almost, bro, you almost messed that up there. Yeah, there's, a little, there's a little hitch there. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so, you know, and I think for a lot of people, they just kind of, again, it's like this band-aid and solution of like, hey, you need more of this where, no, maybe you do need a little more mobility and maybe you need to move better. Well, it's also just the, the, the idea that, okay, maybe they do have, let's just, let's just assume that they don't have a great position. Like that's a thing. That doesn't mean we can't practice it. Like, why not? Like people don't want to do it because it's not fun. It's not cool. It sucks. It's not sexy. Nobody's like, oh man, that looks like a lot of fun, but that's what you need to do. Yeah. And, and I think for most people, the front squat is so important in their training because it's not just a squat front squat. It's your clean, it's your thruster, it's everything. And, you know, you want to just lift more and, and get stronger, but you're just masking the problem. And if you can take the time and do these less sexy things and they're not hours and hours, we're talking like, Hey, three minutes here, five minutes there, you're yeah. going to wind up moving so much better, lifting more, performing better and improving your, your overall fitness. Yeah, it doesn't think of it not necessarily. And the problem usually, in my experience, this person wants to do one massive dose and fix their problem. I'm going to spend an hour on my front iron position. I'm like, why don't you spend three minutes every day for the rest of your life doing that, and you'll get where you need to be. Yeah, and that's just something you know, considering the 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 time that we're living in, right? We want to create better habits, and the habit isn't like, hey, let's do this for an hour today and never again, like you said. You know, whether it's better front rack or wanting to read more or wanting to learn how to cook, it's like, just do something small every like day. Like the stuff that you've been putting out, which is, you know, doing the 10 minute squat test, you know, like maybe you're not going to start at 10 minutes. Maybe you just do one minute every day for a month and then it's two minutes every day. And then it's finally you work up to 10 minutes. Yeah. And really all you're trying to do is create those habits that allow you to be better, you know, and, and be it in your, in your ability to squat or, or anything else. All right, Fern. Let's wrap it up. Any other last thoughts on this front rack mobility? No, I think just as a coach, just check yourself on your willingness to punt to mobility in the front rack position. Again, this is not us saying that that's not a real scenario. It absolutely is. But just be conscious of how quickly you slap that problem onto somebody before you try to just put effort onto it first ideally what we would like is both effort and working on it and then coming back to front rack position. So agreed, nailed it. And 
We've talked about this before, but all the episodes of Best Hour of Their Day should be up on IGTV. Not all of them, I'm sorry. Episode one, we're doing one a week, but we're dropping seen more, in. Dropping in. We're seeing more of the clips go up every day. So we're looking to hopefully get beyond this pandemic and get out for season two. But in the meantime, check it out on our YouTube channel. Check it out on our IGTV. And we're still waiting for that 200th review, Fern. It's not happened yet. I'm going to talk to my mom and see if she'll just fill out 30 of them. Seriously, Mrs. Fernandez, <laughs> just give us a good review. All right. Oh, and again, if you have any feedback for me on learning history, I'm very interested. All right, Fern, I'll let you get back to whatever's going on across the right these days. I know Cassidy's in the background somewhere. He is. Are you guys social distancing? You're six feet apart? We are. We are six feet apart. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. All right, Fern. Well, it's been great chatting about this. I will talk to you later. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. And thanks again to our special guest. We appreciate all you guys do for us with Best Hour of Their Day when it comes to sharing our posts on Instagram, when it comes to subscribing to us on YouTube, when it comes to the constant feedback we are grateful and we appreciate it. We are trying to build a community based on coaching development and becoming the best version of yourself. And it goes without saying that we couldn't do without all of you. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Season one of Dropping In is out. We are getting tremendous feedback and we'd love for you to check it out. Leave us a comment on there. Head over to our Instagram, give us a follow, like our pictures, Feel free to share anything that resonates with you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback for us, please don't hesitate. Email us, besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. Thanks again. Until the next episode, we hope you've had the best hour of your day.